Lisa, absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining. Um, been watching your interviews, digging into your companies, and you are a force of nature. So thank you for giving us the time today. Thank you, Andrew. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited for the conversation. We were just chatting a little bit, but I'd love to hear more about uh, your upbringing and where you came from, how you got into doing what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah. So grew up in Colorado Springs, was born at the Air Force Academy with just family all in the Air Force. Um, grew up in a very healthy family. So we didn't have junk food at home. Uh, my parents exercised every day. My grandfather, told he was, till he died, he was doing a thousand push-ups and sit-ups a day and used to joke that he would probably die in the stairwell of his um, you know, elderly home because he was the only person taking the stairs and no one would find him. <laughs> so um, it's always been ingrained in me, you know, wellness. Um, and, you know, grew up in a split family and spent a lot of time with my father um, in the car, who is a big entrepreneur. He's a developer, still is a developer in Colorado Springs. And I, I joke at saying this and I'm gonna really age myself when I say this, but he used to have cassette tapes. And so um, I know none of you know what those are, but he had cassette tapes that um, he would play like Tony Robbins and Zig Ziglar and all these people. And I would be so annoyed because I was so just bugged. I was like five, six, seven years old while he listened to his business, you know, coaching tapes. Um, but I think that obviously osmosis, some of that stuck with me. And I really saw his drive specifically as a developer and the vision he had for creating Colorado Springs and doing what he did. So I grew up with a very, very entrepreneurial father, hearing him negotiate, um, you know, on projects and deals and stuff. And so I think just through being literally in a car with him, driving back and forth from Denver to Colorado Springs, I really learned a lot. I think, you know, he also is extremely healthy. Um, so being healthy was something that was always really important to me. Um, the entrepreneurial spirit was always in me um, from a little child. I don't think you know that as a kid, maybe because you did lemonade stands. But it really was something that I always saw opportunities in every situation um, and that I couldn't understand, like things could be done better, right? Fast forward, um, as I got older, I really started to kind of think about my own health. And as someone had exercised every day and was very mindful about what I eat, I always had this fear, this underlying fear of, I don't want to go to the doctor and find out something bad. I don't want to be told I had cancer. I don't want something. I don't want that horrible news. And what can I do to, to prepare myself? Like, what is there anything that I can do to take control of my health? So all of these things sort of growing up in that healthy family, very entrepreneurial father, all sort of really influenced heavily kind of my path towards wellness. I didn't start in wellness though. I actually, ironically, out of college, um, went and I started working at Nestle and I was selling country sausage gravy and corned beef hash and chili and cheese sauce. And so I took a very circuitous route to eventually becoming an entrepreneur, um, lots of corporate jobs out of college, worked for Oracle, did a lot of high tech stuff, and then eventually became very entrepreneurial and went on my own. So question just here, because I know wellness is obviously a common theme in your career. It seems a rather difficult task to make health and wellness 
a priority in your life without making it an obsession in your life. Right. So like, I feel like you're either, I, and the reason I'm asking is because we have a three-year-old daughter now. Right. And my wife was a gymnast, very, like had very complex relationships with food. And so like, even now as she's trying to prevent our daughter having a similar experience, she's like, Hey, I want to talk to her about food without forcing her to think about it too much. So I'm curious how your experience with that was. I love the question, Andrew, and I'm going to answer it from two parts. Um, Your daughter is growing up in a much more advanced world than what my children grew up with. Um, We didn't have anything but Gerber baby food. You know, we didn't have homemade baby food and you guys have gadgets and things that my children never had. You have education that we never had. I mean, even in just my children's upbringing, um, meditation and yoga wasn't a thing until a little bit later. It's crazy to say that my kids are 24, 17 and 18. But this wellness thing, this movement is really something that's been more in the last 12, 13 years, I think. And so it's the for at the forefront of your generation. Um, It was not at mine. Um, I think so, so just sort of acknowledging that I think you guys have, you have two you have pros and cons to this. One is you guys have access to healthy food. You, you are knowledgeable. You know that what you put in your body matters. You're mindful of how you feed your children. None of that existed when I was raising my kids. Um, we thought that whole grain goldfish were good for you because it said whole grain. We thought that wheat things were good for you because it said wheat. Um, I think you guys, you just, you guys just know better. Um, and we did a lot of processed foods because it was convenient. We just didn't have the, the, the awareness we have now. Um, food for me, because I did grow up in a, a healthy family, my family was very mindful that we didn't have, you know, fruit loops and we didn't have junk cereals and Twinkies and stuff like that We had homemade dinners. And we were very, it was just sort of ingrained in us. But again, we just didn't have the knowledge that you guys have now about organic and gluten and dairy, the impacts on inflammation. Like it just, that wasn't even part of the conversation. Um, so I'm very envious because I wish that I had known what you guys know when I was raising my kids. I sort of had to kind of play catch up a little bit. I also, I'm going to add to that. You guys also feed them greens way earlier than we did. <laughs> and so having a green juice as a baby is not a weird thing. Whereas by the time my children were of the green juice era, they, they were like, gross, what is this? So um, I think there's so much opportunity in raising kids now. But to your point, there is also that dichotomy of now, how do we become, how does it not become an obsession? And I think that that's something that's very individual. I think, um, I think the most important part is obviously talking about the food. The way I've always approached it is I have never forced it on my kids. So I've been in wellness now for 13 years. If I force it on my kids, they're going to rebel against it, especially my boys. So I quickly learned, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't force them to eat healthy. I had to teach them through experience. Like, let's just do a test here. Let's just, let's take out gluten for two weeks and see what happens. And so it had to be more of a test so that they could make that conscious decision. Um, again, you're in a different generation where the kids are growing up without having the junk food or without having all the processed foods. And I think that they're going to be at a huge advantage because they're going to naturally want to go that direction. Um, So that excites me as someone who's in wellness, because I think it's just starting much, much, much earlier. And then finding that balance where you're educating it, but I don't think we can obsess on it. 
And um, there is so much with social media and everything else. I think there is um, a different level of challenge in keeping that that healthy relationship with food. Yeah. What What's your ideal winning scenario with wellness? Like, hey, I define wellness or, or like moving towards the right direction in in health as a whole as not going to the doctor with any acute disorders or like what is the what is the end zone for you if you will the end zone in my own kind of personal journey with wellness is that kind of the question or um no how do you let me rephrase how do you define wellness for the population Mm, great i'll answer it from maybe even my personal mission because my personal mission is really about empowering people with their health and helping people take control of their health, right? And understanding that food and what we eat and drink and think are the cornerstone of our health. So I think where we, I think we take that for granted. And I, I think we're still, even though there's so much more education and we, we have access to information, we're also a little bit in information overload and we're running at a pace that's faster than we've ever known. So even though we have all the technology, the technology is constantly delivering information to us, right? And so there's a sense of overwhelm as well, and we've never been more unhealthy. So we have all these healthy options, we have more education, yet been as a society, especially in, in the US specifically, we've never been more obese, we've never had more chronic disease. So my personal mission around wellness is is not about perfection because I think everyone's body is unique. My needs are very different than yours, Andrew, and very different than your wife's, right? And so where I where I approach it is more from an intuitive experience. How, what is your relationship with food? How do you become more mindful and be aware without overcomplicating it? And I think if anything is overcomplicated, people will, will, will they'll just turn away from it because it, it's too overwhelming. So I've approached it from the standpoint of just being mindful, reading ingredients on the back of a label, knowing what's in your food, um, staying, you know, focusing on organic, obviously more plants and, and vegetable, you know, fruits and vegetables, um, really having, you know, organic meats, right? I'm not one that's going to preach vegan. I'm not going to preach keto or paleo or intermittent fasting. I really believe it's a very inter- um, individual journey. And I think our bodies will always tell us. We always know what's right. The problem is we don't actually take the time to be quiet, to listen. So I think from my kind of overall mission in the businesses that I've started and just my overall passion and kind of purpose in life, if you will, is giving people the tools to really connect with their body so that they can feel how good they can feel in their body when they feed it, feed it well, and then allow those baby steps to build on themselves. If I come at you and I tell you that you have to eat this way and you have to be vegan and you have to do this, like it's, it's like going to the gym on January 1st. If it's, if the mountain's too high, you're not going to do it. So I think it's about meeting people where they're at and then baby stepping from there because every win builds on itself. Yeah. I I love the mission. Um, I look back on my relationship with wellness and it's fun as I've gotten older, I'm 31 now and I feel like I'm in some ways in my athletic peak. And so like when I was competing in college and even the NFL, like 
food or the type of workouts I was doing and how I was recovering um, was was very much just like, hey, get the job done. Let me go in for an hour. Let me eat whatever food they have, like pizza, whatever. Um, but now it's really it's I found it to be a really fun adventure of of like optimization, like, like you're saying with your kids or like with, with you, it's like, okay, well, how, how good can I feel? And if I change this in my, in my diet, it makes me feel this way. And then like over the course of years, you get to a point where like, man, I wake up and I have a lot of energy and I'm not getting sick. Like, you know, I'm getting sick once a year and I usually get sick six times a year. And, um, it's just kind of fun to, to see the effect of time and, and like trying different, different iterations. But um, I, I love that. And I just want to acknowledge what you said. I think that's really what it's about. I mean, I even just, 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 I just got back from Mexico. Right. So we were there. It was a lot of tequila and you know, I'm like two or three days without tequila now. And I'm like, wow, like I'm waking up at 5am and I feel really good. <laughs> and I said to my daughter, I was like, I think that, you know, this no drinking thing is good. And I'm not a big drinker, but I you, you get in touch with your body and your body will tell you, right? Like you said, this optimization, and I think that's the perfect word for it is how are my workouts? How am I waking up? What is my energy level? Is my brain feel clear? And as we get older, that becomes more and more pronounced. So I think when we're younger, we're a little bit more just like whatever, but my son, you know, he's at college. He's sick all the time. He's finally saying, okay, mom, tell me what to do. And you know, his immune system is severely compromised and it's affecting his social life. It's affecting his ability to show up for school. And so he now has a need to now want to listen. So part of it also has to meet you where you're at when you're ready. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, but even like my relationship with sickness back in the, the days I was going to school was like, Oh sweet. I'm sick. I, I get, a, I get to miss class. Right. But now as an adult, you like, you start co committing to the things that you want to. And then like, you're just not committed to the things that you don't want to. So when you actually miss these commitments that you're looking forward to, it's a, it's kind of a bigger deal. I feel like, so anyway, there's, there's my tangent. Um, well, and your ability to recover from an injury. I mean, there's so many ways that food, I mean, food can be your best friend or it can be your worst enemy, right? And yeah. you know, just the inflammation in food itself, right? It, being able to study, right? Like having your mind focused, but the food's going to impact how you study. And I've done a lot of tests with that with my kids around ADD and, you know, we all have a little bit of, of that and you can, you know, when your brain's working and when it's not, if I have a bunch of pasta or pizza or, you know, sugar or anything like that, my brain's not optimized. So I think that's where you just, you take it in control and you start to just test things out and go, Oh, this is working. I'm going to, I'm going to not eat as much gluten, right? Maybe that's just a Friday night thing or, you know, however you find that balance for you, because I do think that life's greatest pleasure is also food and play. So I think it's not about taking away. It's about finding a balance that works for you that, um, you feel like it feels like a choice versus a burden. That's really good. I like that perspective. Uh, on the note of tequila, my wife and I had our first ha uh, hangover as parents, which was so we have a three year old and a one year old and drank a lot of wine at like this charity function. And the kids woke us up at 4 a.m. and we, we both looked at each other we're like, wow, this cannot happen ever again. Um, 
Anyway, we had a lot of those. I, my my <laughs> ex-husband now, but my husband and I used to Rochambeau who had to get up and deal. Oh, so, it is brutal. It was brutal. Um, I would love to hear about beaming, if you don't mind sharing that story. Let's talk about it. Yeah. So my first, when I left the corporate world and I was having children and really wanted to, the entrepreneurial side of me was sort of like it needed to come out, and I think. The other important piece of this is that as I did different entrepreneurial things, um, I always had this underlying desire to have a significant impact in the world. I used to just like, I know I need to like really have a positive impact in some way. And because of my, my own personal health journey and my daughter being on ADD medication and the different things that influenced how I really dove into wellness, it became how Beaming, my last wellness company started. And it really started in the kitchen. And it started with first making, you know, healthier food for my family and seeing how, going back to the conversation we were just having, how our brains were working better and we had less inflammation and my daughter came off ADD medication and we were living the benefits of it. Because of that, I knew I had a responsibility to share this information with others. And I knew that the best way I, I personally could do it was through experience if I could make the food, if I could help you feel so good, would you would you make simple changes that you would keep building on? And that really became the, the, the birth of Beaming. I saw an opportunity to really make Healthy Taste Amazing, speak to a bigger audience than was currently being spoken to. And I, I think it's important to mention this was 13 years ago. So again, we've come a long way in 13 years. When I started beaming and opened my first first cafe, I guess 11 years ago in San Diego, there was very few healthy options. San Diego only had Jamba Juice at the time, right? So, you know, New York and LA had more options, but now San Diego, now Jamba Juice doesn't even exist anymore. So when you look at kind of that full circle of where we've gone, but we were very ahead of the curve. We um, we actually launched with a cleanse because it was during the days of the juice cleansing days when everyone was drinking juice for three days. And I think we all learned that that juice was filled with sugar, you know, apples and pears and fruits and pineapple and stuff like this. And while fruit is good for you, it was really excessive and you were having 220 grams of sugar a day and no fat and no fiber and no protein. And I just sort of like, was pulling my hair out watching my friends drink these juices, you know, Monday through Wednesday and then party through Thursday through Sunday. And just so she could, they could fit in their skinny jeans. And I thought there has to be a better way. How can we make this really about well-being and wellness, but still go party, but like just make it so it's something that you're really committing to that becomes just part of your, your overall lifestyle choices. So I started with a cleanse. It was a whole food based cleanse and again, not juices. It was salads and soups and smoothies and snacks and things, but very culinary forward, um, launched it out of my house and, um, it became a cult following and people became obsessed with the foods and they loved how they felt. And of course they lost weight, but they felt amazing and they wanted the foods all the time, which was my goal. And because of that, I raised my first money, opened the first cafe in December, 2012, 2012. 
And that cafe took off and became the most successful concept in the country almost overnight. And mind you, this was in Del Mar, California, where most people have never heard of, probably. Um, so it wasn't like it was in a big metropolitan city. It was trucked behind McDonald's. No street, no, no, no walking traffic. Um, but I understood, I really had created a following before we launched. And then when we launched, really served something in the community that had never been done before. And because it was such a family-oriented community, and I, as a mother, I really wanted children to want to come. Mind you, it's behind McDonald's. So what if the kids would come here instead of McDonald's in between soccer practice or lacrosse or, you know, they started carrying the lunch boxes of beaming at school. And so it was a very family, community-oriented uh, business that was wildly successful. And because of that, it led me to raising uh, about $3 million dollars and expanding into LA and opening a kitchen and really building the brand, um, which it ultimately grew to about 10 locations. Wild. How was your experience fundraising as a female? Well, I think what was even crazy, oh, I love this question. So what was even crazier, I think for me, that's really important to mention is I didn't have any experience with this. Yes, I grew up in a healthy family, but I was, you know, not a chef. I was not, a new, I mean, I did go to um, the Institute of Integrative Nutrition in my journey, but I wasn't a nutritionist, right? I had, I didn't have an MBA. I had no idea how to, how to build a business plan, let alone go raise money. So for me, it was very like, figure it out as you go. Um, my mission was so strong that there was no way I couldn't do it. And so I just really did figure it out. A funny story I'll just mention is I was, I was raising money I mean, you had to build a financial model, right? For people to give you money. And so I would sit outside of Starbucks and Jamba Juice and count how many people would go into the store and then figure out what their average ticket price was and then come up with numbers that I could then give to an accountant that we could go create this financial model. I mean, that's how unsophisticated sort of my, my modeling was. But what I was able to do was convey the conviction of and the mission of the company. Um, so raising the money was actually not hard because people felt my passion and they knew that they saw, they saw the numbers, right? They saw how people were lining up outside of the store. They saw how people were obsessed with the product and they saw the vision of the brand. So it was more tangible at the time. Um, I have a lot of opinions about raising money as a woman, because I've gone on to raise a lot more for my new company. So I can come back to that question, but for Beaming specifically, I did have a tremendous amount of support at the time. Um, that being said, I did make some really significant mistakes that ultimately cost me the company. Jim. Wild. I, I was looking up some statistics as I was thinking through this. And um, I think just around 2% of funds raised go to women-led companies. And then from like the, the venture VC fund side of things, there's only like 12% of decision makers in those funds are females themselves. So it's like, it does seem to be a bit of an uphill battle. I've never raised funds myself, but I imagine having, uh, having similar perspectives could help in that battle, you know? So I've been, I've made a lot of mistakes and I've done a lot of things wrong. Um, fundraising is never easy. And, um, but I've always had such a good product 
an incredible brand and such a strong conviction. Because at the end of the day, a lot of raising money is that they're, you know, especially early stage, right? Is they, you have to have those check boxes and you have to have, they have to believe that you can execute it. So I don't know, for me, I did, it was an, ex, an experience of like male, female. I didn't, I didn't really have to, I didn't deal with that. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. You know, I mean, you have to have incredible resilience because you're going to get way more no's than you're going to get yeses. And it's exhausting. Um, but I never looked at it at the time as a male, female thing. Um, something I will mention that, you know, may not go over very well, but um, the hardest money for me to raise um, initially was from women. So um, all of my investors through Beaming initially were men. Um, and my first three investors with Chroma were men. And um, Chroma is now 90% funded by women, but women were the hardest ones to convince, which is a whole separate conversation. <laughs> yeah. What's your one minute hypothesis on that? I don't have a total conclusion yet. I okay. think that um, women are less of risk takers than men. I think men are like, that sounds like a good idea. Like, sure. And I'm, I'm making light of it. I think that women are much more analytical when it comes to I'm making gross generalizations, but much more analytical about how they how they invest their money, and we're much more we're much more sensitized. Um, so I think there's a little bit of that, but I'll tell you, it was incredibly discouraging because I got introduced to every female VC when I was raising money with Chroma, and they were the they were the toughest. They were. Um, they were definitely the toughest and it was an incredible eye-opening experience for me to see you know women vcs who only invest in women not invest in a woman right um and and but the male vcs were much more inclined to engage um so i don't really have a, a full conclusion on it i'm still trying to assess why but i think one of the bigger reasons is that women are much much more analytical when it comes to an investment um, it's sort of the only thing I can come to. Interesting. Uh, tell us how you lost beaming or you said it, it cost you the company, I think was a quote you had. Yeah. I mean, it was my first big venture, as I mentioned, and raising money and, you know, building this massive, um, operation really when you have 10 locations in a central kitchen and we, we, we grew very fast. Um, and I made some very clear mistakes. I think the first one I made is I didn't have a strong operational partner. And um, I think, you know, I'm a very much a visionary. I'm a creator. I'm a brand proliferator, experienced designer, et cetera. And I think, you know, we as entrepreneurs, we, we can't be good at everything. I'm not an operations and finance person. And I really didn't have that partner um, that really could be the backbone of the business because all the great ideas in the world don't matter if if there's not the, the operations to back it up. So that was the biggest mistake I made. And I really struggled to find that partner along the way. And so it really made the business complicated as we expanded, especially expanding as quickly as we did. Um, the other huge mistake, I would say the second one is we probably grew too fast. Um, and I felt a pressure because we had this hot brand that this was the moment and got to go now. And I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs can appreciate that. I'm much more mindful about growth now because of that. So I think 
that we grow too fast. And I, and, um, I, the biggest, biggest mistake I think of all was I had never built a board before. And so it was my first time having a board and the people who ended up on my board, um, were investors. So someone came to me and said, I have a million dollars, but I want a seat on the board. They bought a seat on the board. And at the time that seemed like a great exchange. You know, you give me a million dollars, I give you a seat on the board. This is this wonderful thing. And I quickly learned who you surround yourself with is, is everything. And I did not have, uh, I did not have a board that one brought any experience to the table that was relevant. So that was very, very challenging because I was dealing with people who had never done any of what we were doing. Um, and two really were not in aligned with me or the, or the, or the mission and the values of the company. And so when it came towards, as we were growing, um, there was a lot of compromises in the integrity of the business that were happening to, to save a penny. And that became a really difficult for thing, thing for me as someone who is so true to my values. Um, absolutely, businesses have to be profitable, but there's a time and place. And I think you have to be true to, to the values. And I, I did not have a board that was in alignment with me for that. So um, it was a very painful experience because at the end, I ended up leaving. Um, I, um, I, I ended up really fighting as much as I could to get the right people in, involved, but the board, if you have the wrong board, the board can have a lot of control. And I think that's just something in, in the company I have now, it's myself, it's my business partner and one other person on the board. And we will keep it like that for a while because I think you need the autonomy as a new business to really make those decisions and those entrepreneurial decisions without too much influence of uh, external influence. I love what you said about values. And that's one thing I've learned from mentors, from experience now starting a couple of companies. It's like whether you, you've stumbled into a business that's, you know, really crushing sales or you're, you're just like starting from scratch, having values is the long-term biggest differentiator that like, I think inherently we had values and they were kind of subconscious unspoken, but as soon as we wrote them down and then kind of came up with ways to really make them more forward, uh, in our company, it like changed the game. It literally is the filter that everything runs through. It's, it's how you make decisions. And, um, it, it's such a powerful tool that I feel like some people would just like say, ah, oh, well, I'll, I'll get to that at some point. Like, let's just figure out how to do the, the, the marketing first and then we'll do ads. But values is key. Well, and values are um, really in alignment with the mission and ethos, right? And so something that was, that even with Chroma now, right? We've, we have grown so fast. We're, we're a year old, really. And what happens with any business is you get into the minutia of the business and it gets into numbers and how are we going to grow and acquisition and retention. And you start to be in, in LTVs and CACs and and I've had to step back and and really keep us focused on that bigger mission of the brand and the company. And I think when we're more in alignment with those values and that mission, the the marketing of it becomes more from a place of the impact we can make. Of course, you're making decisions based on data and you know the numbers, but at the end of the day, what we're really driven by is 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 the impact we can make, the difference we can make, and. It's very hard when you're building a business to balance those two. 
because there's the pressure of, of, of revenue and profit. And then there's, but ultimately what everyone really wants to be is they want to be part of something bigger. And when you're all in that like movement together, I think that's when real magic happens, but it's, it's something you'll be very conscious of. Gosh, I, I'd heard that a, a million times and it never hit until maybe two years ago. And I was like, gee, I wish that I could go back and kind of start everything we've ever done with that mindset. But anyway, here we are. Lesson learned. Uh, still learning. But you've and alluded I'm still to. Learning. You know, I mean, I have a I have a business partner who's a McKinsey person. So he is numbers, numbers, numbers and charts and this. And thank God we are so opposite because he's all driven around CACs and LTVs. And I'm like, yeah, and right here's the the why. So all of that builds into the why. And when we can do that energetically and really articulate that throughout the business and the company, everyone aligns with that. Um, but it's we just don't all naturally think that way either. Yeah. Uh, you've talked about Chroma a couple of times. Another health and wellness company using superfoods, adaptogens um, to transform lives, right? Would love to hear about Chroma and your mission with that company specifically. And then, you know, you, you mentioned the juice cleanse. One of the big staples of Chroma, it seems like, is the reset program that you guys do. So walk us through how you've built that. So when I absolutely beaming, um, I went through a pretty, I'll call it a dark time. <laughs> in understanding how did I get here? Because I was so passionate about beaming and our mission and how do I never get here again? So it was a good year and a half of real deep kind of interpersonal introspective work and actually struggled to create again. Um, and I think that was part of my own personal journey to prepare myself to become the leader you know, that I am today and the entrepreneur I am today. And through that process and playing with different ideas and what was my next thing, knowing it would be in wellness and knowing it would be playing with superfoods because I've geeked out on those for 15 years now. I really went back to what the foundation and mission of Beaming was, which is really like, how do we how do we empower people with their health and make it sexy and delicious and speak to a bigger audience and something that is really having true impact, not just a quick fix or a one and done, but how do I really integrate into your your everyday life and different moments of your life. So the premise and thesis of Chroma is really the same as Beaming. The difference is the, the vision I had for Beaming, I get to carry out for Chroma, which was how do we reach people everywhere? And with Beaming, because it was perishables, I could only reach the people that were, you know, in the, in the city where we were, in the town that uh, there was a cafe. And I had always thought, how can we take this and recreate it in a non-perishable format that could reach people everywhere? And that's what I get to do now with Chroma. And when I got my creative energy and, you know, kind of inspirations again, I went into basically recreating beaming in a powder-based form, leading with that, the reset, which you just referred to, because at the end of the day, and I knew this from the beaming days, and I don't think this changes, we all still want a quick fix. We all want to look good and feel better fast, right? And so... And I think what I know just through consumer behavior and is, is that if we can help you feel better and look better fast, you're much more likely to sort of join the journey, if you will. And the trust and loyalty you can build when you can uh, 
be part of someone's life. And for us, it's a five day program. So for five days, I get to, you get to experience the 19 different foods, you know, the bad, sorry, beverages and foods and snacks that we offer uh, as Chroma. And you get to experience them. You get to feel how you feel when you drink our matcha that has collagen and turmeric and ginger and mushrooms in it. And maybe you're a coffee drinker, but you feel how much better you feel drinking the matcha for five days or how delicious our porridge is or the broths and, and the elixirs and the smoothies and the cookie butter that people freak out for. It's really about delivering a program that meets you where you're at and allows you to customize it for you and then giving you the tools to take all your favorite things from the program and continue to incorporate them into your everyday life. So Chrome is really the, it is the same premise as Beaming. It's just delivered in a format that it can deliver to your doorstep and you can keep it in your pantry and it can travel with you. That's amazing. You've built Chroma and Beaming with your daughter as well. Can you tell us about uh, how Lexi plays into all this and, and why? Um, so my daughter's 24 now. Uh, she started Beaming with me when she was 13 and it was as simple as her friend's you know, in the living room, labeling bottles, you know, and making smoothies. Um, it's literally how it started. Um, and then she was working in the cafes. She ended up homeschooling herself in high school and moved to LA with me to open all the cafes in LA. And she was managing the Santa Monica store when she was 16 while doing online courses for high school. And she was so much She's very unconventional like me and so doesn't necessarily take the traditional path. And she then ended up doing um, community college and then went to online school at Purdue while she was working with me with Chroma. <laughs> and so for her, it's just being very entrepreneurial and having an entrepreneurial mom and working side by side with me has, I hope it's been a great experience for her. And hopefully she learns a lot just by being, doing all these experiences with me. For me, I can't imagine a greater gift than to be able to work side by side with my daughter and the experiences we get to have and the laughter we get to have because, you know, sometimes it just really sucks. And just sometimes being able to laugh is what you need. Um, but it's it's a true gift to be able to build uh, Chroma uh, alongside my daughter. It's so fun. It's, it's wild that she's been a part of I feel like integrating her into your work life is a really special aspect that a lot of people don't get to experience. Like my wife and I work together and um, it's really fun to kind of navigate those problems and to be on the ground level in the bunker. Like there's, I don't have to speak high level about anything. Like she's right there and we, we get to relate and I feel like a, a more intimate way because of that. Obviously there's some like boundaries that need to be established, but it's super special. No, it's super special. And I love that you and your wife get to do it together. I, it's there's to your point, there has to be boundaries. Right. And I, at the end of the day, I'm still her mom. And so there's a different dynamic that comes with that. She doesn't work for me. And we've always tried to make sure that was the case. But she and I are side by side, you know, working with each other. And I hope that when she hears me do a podcast interview or a, um, a pitch for an uh, investor pitch or something that she was like I was with with my father, where I was absorbing it even when I didn't know I was. And I see that in her. I see how much she's grown and really stepping into just her. She's so much more mature and wise than I ever was at that age. Um, and I'm super proud of it. That's great. So you mentioned the initial friction with raising money uh, from female 
VCs for Beaming and Chroma. Now you're 90% funded from females with Chroma. What were the lessons that you learned between Beaming and Chroma that has set you up for better success now? Well, I, so I think there's two parts in that question. Um, one is the, I, the first thing I did in starting Chroma was found a business partner that was operational and he is critical to the business and he is the, you know, the mastermind behind the complexity of our business. And that was a really important exiting off of beaming. And again, going into that deep, like, well, how did I get here? And how do I never get here again? having that operational partner has been critical. It's also similar to what you were saying about your wife, being able to be side by side with someone that's as passionate as I am, who's willing, and he didn't work for, he didn't get paid for a year. He worked side by side with me. We were building it during COVID. You know, it was a very, very stressful time. We were trying to raise money and, you know, entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur is incredibly lonely. And so, being able to build it with your daughter, being able to, you know, for my daughter, your your wife, for me, my daughter and my business partner was everything because there's so many knockdowns along the way and being able to kind of keep each other going. So my biggest thing was having that operational partner, obviously keeping a small board. And one of the things that we did through the fundraising process, because it was COVID and some of this happened by default, but it actually became part of our, um, our silver, silver bullet, I guess, is when we were raising money, uh, we finished the business plan the day before the world shut down with COVID. And of course, that that we couldn't go out and ask for money when people were figuring out about where to get toilet paper and so and groceries. So we went, it was very scary because you're like, you're so ready to tell the world and all of a sudden we couldn't. And it was like, oh shit, now what do we do? So what we ended up doing was going out and really building the beta program for our five-day reset. And we thought, well, let's just go trial this program. And we've been working on the products, but let's put it all together. And I think I invited five friends to do the program. And one of them was a celebrity, wife of a celebrity. And they all became obsessed and were freaking out about it. And so I was like, okay, I guess we're on to something. Let's keep going. And so now not just we had a deck, but we also now had product and we were getting proof of concept. So it kept putting this beta program out there and people were obsessing on it. And it really became our kind of our winning ticket for raising money. Um, we had, but, but during that time, if you can imagine the VCs were incredibly gun shy to invest and they were really, they've been burned pretty bad investing in startups that had a great story, but didn't have a proof of concept. And I think that's now even more so than ever is trying to get money from VCs is really hard if you don't have proof of concept and, um, and market validation. And so while they were very interested, I had, there was two, I probably had 50 no's, which is not easy to experience, you know, when you get that much rejection and you're so passionate. So I ended up shifting and thought, what if we could build um, an incredible group of investors and a cap, a cap table with highly influential, influential people that would help us tell the world and be part of our go-to-market strategy. And I remember with a girlfriend, we kind of vision board, we're like, well, if we had celebrities, what celebrities would we want on the cap table? And it was one of my advisors that we did this sort of vision boarding thing. And then it was everything from celebrities to the mom in the community and everyone in between that would help us tell the world. And that became really our actual, our, our fundraising strategy. Um, it did require a lot of conversations. I have 106 investors, 
and you know many no's along the way. But those investors have really become a huge part of our success to date because of just them really championing around me and the vision of the company and helping us tell the world. That's great. The the period between beaming and chroma, chroma you said was uh, tough or maybe even dark days. I forget how you phrased it, but uh, what were the lessons like personally? How did Lisa make it through that? Like, mm. I think we've all experienced the frustration, the discouragement, the bleakness of like, man, that was my shot, and now I'm done. Right? Like you, had, you were on a hot streak with beaming, growing quickly, and then it was like a bummer done uh kind of lost control of it how how did you have that not prevent you from the next phase which is now chroma and you know in a lot of ways bigger and better and more exciting i will say um i love the question so thank you for asking i would say it was the hardest time of my life it was the darkest time of my life hands down and when you build something that you're so passionate about and you don't feel understood. Um, it's a, it's, it's never a good feeling. I also had such a huge vision. I saw the lives we were changing. I, every day people would stop me on the street. They still do actually about beaming specifically and how much they love that brand. So it was a big piece of just my soul. Um, going through that, that period of, of loss really um, was, you know, again, I went through kind of how did I get here and how do I never get here again? And there was a lot of interpersonal work for me too, as a leader and just understanding maybe some of the things that I had done to self-sabotage. I mean, I, without going into the details of that, I really did go into a place of questioning everything about myself. Um, maybe I was a one hit wonder. Um, maybe I'm not very talented. You know, I mean, I went through all the self-doubt. Um, I couldn't get a job afterwards. I thought people would want to hire me here. I create this great brand that people were obsessed with, but I couldn't get a job because they didn't know what to do with me because I'm an entrepreneur. It was a lot of, it was a lot of, it was a, it was a good year and a half of a lot of really tough, tough interpersonal kind of like, how do I, can I even create again? Um, and I think one of the things I remember saying to myself during that process was I can't just clack. I, I wanted to just snap my fingers and say, okay, we're done now. Can we, can, can we just create again? Cause I I'm sort of over this whole, you know, interpersonal thing. <laughs> and I really had to sort of come to peace with the fact that you don't always get to just snap your fingers and move on. Sometimes you have to actually go through that process to really learn what you need to learn um, even when there's so much resistance in that. And, um, but there was so much doubt along the way. Um, I really had to build my esteem again and my belief in myself again. Um, and eventually, you know, you, but I'm a fighter too, you know, I don't, I don't give up. So I, I was willing to go through the mud and do the work I needed to do so I could come out the other side. Gosh, I love the way you phrased that. There, there is, um, you know, we have a, we have a one-year-old and I'm always trying to remind myself of the importance of like just being present and like not, not being preoccupied or working on this or that, or like, you know, being distracted. It's like, if I'm just, if I could just be here, whether it's a good moment or bad moment or good phase of life or bad, it's like, you got, you have to experience the stuff in order to like learn what you need to and, and make it pass. And then the other thing I thought of is 
it's kind of, it seems like it was kind of a humbling experience, right? Where it's like, oh, shoot, man, really knocked me down a few rings there. And there is something about having, it's always a fine line between humility and, and having confidence, uh, the humility to learn the lessons and, and accept mentorship, accept, um, you know, new perspectives, but then also having confidence to pursue what your mission is. It's like, man, that's a, that's a fine needle to thread there. Um, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it was incredibly humbling and I needed that. I, I, I needed that knockdown. I, I, I can actually honestly say and look back on it as sad as I was to lose beaming. And every time someone says like, I miss beaming, it's like my heart goes, I know me too. There's a part that I, I am grateful for. And I think anyone can say when you've gone through hard times, sometimes when we don't, you know, when you're going through it, it's hard to see that there's a good on the other side. But anyone who's been through a hard time always knows there's something positive on the other side. And because I went through that journey, I mean, I, I went, if you've heard of Hoffman, I mean, I went to the Hoffman Clinic. I went anywhere that I could to really dig deep, to, to make sure that anything that I may have done to sabotage, anything that I had done that may have influenced that outcome could be healed. Mm. Um, and I always say, I won't, you know, I'll make all sorts of new mistakes, but I certainly won't make the mistakes that I made with beaming again. Yeah. All right. We were just talking about your travel schedule. You're in, you're in Mexico, you're in Nashville, you're, you know, maybe going to, you got a lot of exciting things going on in the business world, personal world. What are you, what, what are you most excited about now, Lisa? I woke up this morning and I just, I had, I had this excitement of what we're building and the impact that is coming. And, and I say this from two points that there's a, there's a duh, of course, but you don't always wake up with that energy. You, cause there's a lot of those days where you wake up and you're like, shit, like this is heavy. This is big. Like we got a lot to do. I woke up this morning. I got so excited because I had just spent a lot of time reading all of the testimonials and the feedback people give us and how much, how passionate they are. And I think it's so important to kind of touch base again to like all of the, the human side of, of running a business. And I think what excites me is really this mission that we're on and what we're building and attracting an amazing team to help us build this and, and really turn it into a brand that can just have significant impact and, um, and hopefully have fun along the way. Um, I know that's sort of a lame answer, but I really am so passionate about why Chroma exists and um, the challenge of building it um, is also sort of fun. It's a chess game, but, you know, figuring out how to bring the right people together, the right messaging together, you know, all the different components that it takes to really successfully build and execute on a business, I think is something that I'm really excited about and, and hopefully changing a lot of lives along the way. I couldn't disagree with you more and you saying that that's a lame answer. I feel like, um, well, the last six months has been super interesting for me just with friends going through like super hard times and, and not having purpose. And so I feel like just hearing your excitement about the purpose that you have and that the company has, that is the most important thing at the end of the day, nothing else matters. That's it. So kudos to you. I'm excited for you because of, of the purpose that you feel. So, um, Lisa, I, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate your perspective and the good that you're bringing into the world, both with your wisdom, as well as, uh, the products. If you, if you're listening, want to learn more about Chroma, um, which is Lisa's health and wellness company, we'll link that down below. 
And uh, this was a real treat. So thank you. Andrew, thank you so much. This was so much fun.